Welcome to the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view as always we appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective you could be anywhere listening to anything but you're right here with us so we thank you with you today is yours truly b cox and with me i have the crew comprised of these fine gentlemen surrounding me right now to my left we have my boy cousin damo always to my right we have dt dave my man and in front of me we have my man jo my boy Jay right here in front of us. Gentlemen, want to thank you again for joining us once again for another edition of The Vault. Pleased to have you all join me as we chop it up over the classics. Here we are today uh, bringing you back another classic album, reviewing here for The Vault. And today we are going to a another classic album that we all see that is one of the most lauded albums actually in hip-hop history. Doing my research, I found that here. And that is, of course, with De La Soul and their debut studio album, Three Feet High and Rising, released in 1989. So 30 years ago from this year is when this happened. So with De La Soul and everyone knows their catalog, and we also know their struggle very well, what they've gone through recently. For those of you, of course, who are not tracking what has, been, what has happened with De La Soul is that uh, they have been with in a dispute with their former label, Tommy Boy, on the streaming rights and streaming royalties to be able to receive. They have requested to receive their masters from Tommy Boy and have not received them. They've been, they, have been, uh, uh, they have been denied those rights. So they went on a campaign on social media not too long ago of asked all of their fans to not stream any of their music, um, especially any of their Tommy Boy releases. And as a matter of fact, if you go online to most major music outlets, you do not see any of their famous classics that are uh, that we know uh during their catalog that are up for available for stream or purchase but this one is always available no matter where you can find it i myself went to go look for it on youtube and found it there so three feet high and rising released in 1989 march 3rd recorded at calipi studios in new york city a runtime of 67 minutes and 24 seconds released on tommy boy the producer, someone we just discussed a few weeks ago, Prince Paul himself, and then, of course, De La chipping in on this one as well. A lot of things that we've had here, there were a lot of, not as many features on this one, but the ones that were here were epic. Um, Jungle Brothers and Q-Tip uh, were the features on, of course, the track Buddy, which is a hip-hop classic track now. and this remix, uh, The remix, too. Yeah, and the remix of Buddy as well, which... As we know, this album and also the set of albums is pretty much what helped to create the Native Tongues Collective and Hip Hop comprised of De La Soul, Tribe Called Quest, Jungle Brothers, Jungle Brothers, Black Sheep, yeah, Black Sheep, Queen Latifah, Moni Love, a number of different artists who were around each other that we see we we saw for the very first time where we saw a collective sort of get together since the early days in hip hop when you had hip hop crews all over the place. This was a crew that supported each other in their various projects. So here with Three Feet High and Rising, surprisingly looking at this, guys, I saw this and looking at just how 
critically acclaimed this was throughout hip hop because of what it did as far as the stylistically what it introduced to the genre. Just some of the things that you see lauded in places such as the Village Voice and Specs and Spin Magazine, Rolling Stone, and one of the 200 essential rock records, the Source Best 100 rap albums, Vibe Magazine as well, and for good reason because of the lo- a lot of the concepts they pulled from this album that pretty much it was groundbreaking. And a lot of the things that happened from what happened from the sampling they did on this album as well, some of the samples that they pulled, everyone from Johnny Cash to they also pulled from Steely Dan, Hall and Oates, the Turtles, so many different other guys, that, uh, different genres that they sampled to be able to create really what was a groundbreaking hip hop album. But um, we'll go ahead and start with the first reaction. Now, this album came out in 1989. I'm pretty sure all of us at that point in time were at least well, elementary school. Right. Um, I didn't hear this album in 1989. I was still involved in watching PBS and, and Nick, Nick, Nickelodeon at that time. There was no Nick Jr. at that time. But I did listen to it later once I got into De La Soul's uh, catalog. So I'll go ahead and I'll start with the crew. I actually start with Dave just to, as far as the uh, first time that you maybe, well, when you listened to this album, what your reaction was to it when listening to it. And then uh, I guess from uh, your perspective now, listening to it and refreshing it, pretty much what you thought about it. The first De La Soul album I heard was, uh, uh, oh my goodness, I can't think of the one. It came, uh, De La Soul is dead. <clears throat> no, it wasn't De La Soul. It was dead. It was the uh, Mosaic Thump. Some, Mosaic uh, Thump. Okay. And then once I heard Mosaic Thump, of course, I hit the rewind button and started going from uh, Three Feet and Rising to uh, De La Soul's Dead. And then, of course, Stakes, Stakes is, high. is High. Yeah. So um, when I first heard the album, I liked it. And it was cool, of course, like Potholes in My Lawn and Buddy and Me, Myself, and I. Mm-hmm. But as I listened to this like a couple weeks ago, I was like, man, like it, it aged well. It still it still has elements, but I'm like, I don't, you know, I guess we'll get into that a little later on the podcast. But mm-hmm. it's still for its time. It's still, you know, still a banger. Yeah, awesome. definitely. <clears throat> Jay, I guess your reaction first listening to the album and then when we refreshed listening to it this week, getting ready to review it, your thoughts on right, it. Right. So. No, like it was said, we were all pretty young. I think I was probably like in third grade when this dropped, so yeah. I wasn't in a hip hop state of mind beyond like, I guess I'm showing my age, like Wild Wild West or something exactly. like that. <laughs> <on the radio. laughs> so, um, yeah, so basically I went back and listened to it and just to like think of how hip hop was in 1989 because I knew, I knew like who some of the major players were back then, say like LL, Big Daddy Kane, or you know, whoever. And just really made me think about how against the grain they were, how innovative they were, you know, because like everybody else, they kind of had like a, like an image as far as like being a superstar, you know, like mm-hmm. with the gold chains and the fresh gear and mm-hmm. nice fade. yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Hot top fade. Gold chains. Like, <laughs> right. And that was like pretty much like before bling bling was a thing, people were still doing it. You know what I'm saying? So, so here comes daylight, you know, pretty much going against the grain of all of that. Just like regular dudes that um, just would know just spin bars and. What people could relate to it just added another an, another channel as far as like you know as far as the audience and the growing hip-hop scene so it just really made me appreciate how innovative they were and how they were just instrumental like staking their claim and expanding upon that genre for other people to like laying that groundwork for other artists to come in to do their thing exactly yeah and it did it sort of started you saw the release with this album um and i'll you know we talk about this a little later how de la had their had their very had their very first album and um from there, what you saw was the year after Tribe releasing their uh, second album, 
Black Sheep fo- following not too long after right. that. And um, and then you also had in 1990, the year afterwards, Public Enemy, then releasing Fear of a Black Planet. Right. So it was a number of different things that sort of came out uh, during this genre where, you know, hip hop was starting to go to a transition. This is like the first wave of the East Coast sort of starting its revival and then the West Coast starting its emergence with N.W.A. and the D.O.C. Mm-hmm. and uh, the first big West Coast acts. We'll move to Damo. Your for your your initial reaction upon listening to the album, and then in re- listening to it coming up to this review, what your what your lasting impression was? Eighty nine. I was six, so I'm kindergarten, first <laughs> grade. So you know, no, I dang going well. Wasn't listening to this album. <coughs> I'm watching GI Joe, and I was listening to Michael Jackson. Though, hey, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I heard this album, I was probably about. 11, 12, my older cousins, they was playing it. So back then, I really didn't. All I knew was me, myself, and I. When I went back and refreshed it, listened to it this week, ain't for me. Mm-hmm. They listen, I mm-hmm. never really got into them then. Still really not into them now. True. So I guess you could say it's like an acquired <laughs> taste for some people. It really is. It really is. And it didn't go like fine wine for me when I got <laughs> older <laughs> and it hit yeah. me better. I was like, uh, still me, myself, and I. <laughs> True. But, no, and I definitely understand that. And, you know, that's the great thing about having a discussion like this. You get uh, various tastes um, on hip-hop and you sort of see you know, how different people feel about it, especially after some years. Now, for me personally, um, looking at at Three Feet High and Rising from a couple of different perspectives, I guess, from being from a hip hop listener, as far as when it comes to really paying attention to and listening to lyrics, it was a little bit interesting to hear some of the things, especially with De La, you know, Posinus and True Goys and Maceo's different, you know, their flows, you know, they all, we're so. I mean, to me, I thought they were always kind of the same. You know, I think Paz always stood out above everybody else's lyricist yeah, within the group. Um, but it was interesting to kind of listen to that and to also go back and listen to some other projects during that area to see how different they were. The concepts they talk about were different. The production, I think, was great because you kind of heard samples from records that you wouldn't hear hip-hop producers sample. And that, I think, is really the creative creativity of De La Soul and then also of Prince Paul as well. Really is where it kind of stood out. I mean, you hear the different things that were sampled. You wouldn't hear hip hop producers. They would sample stuff like James Brown or sample soul records like Frankie Beverly Amaze or sample Earth, Wind and Fire or uh, Willie Hutch. You know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't see them doing stuff like sampling Steely Dan or Johnny Cash. It, it would be unheard of. That's where I think the brilliance of this of this uh, album sort of comes into then also looking to see with the themes and the fact that everything was pretty much it was all about harmony and and peace and mm-hmm. everything else like that right. and the, the direction that hip-hop was sort of going you had public enemy that had a very anti-establishment message uh, message nwa from another coast had the same type of message you could see that the tides were starting to change based on the climate in america and then also the commentary that came out of hip-hop as well so this, I think, was different in that respect that it kind of took you in a little bit of a different direction. But I can definitely understand why there may be different opinions, especially on the group, but the, uh, the project. But overall, by the critics themselves, this has been a, a widely lauded album. We talked about, of course, uh, you know, the, the themes, our reactions. We talked, uh, you know, a couple of things as far as when it comes to the cultural impact. A lot of people don't know this, but 
this was the album that actually started the uh, battle against um, one of the albums, at least. This is one of the albums that led the charge for the industry sort of stepping up, standing up and being like, oh, wait a, wait a minute. That sample, did you clear it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. True. There yeah, was true. a, it was a, there right. was a, the, the landmark um, l- lawsuit, and I believe it was from Warner Brothers. I have to double check my sources on this, uh, about uh, against um, various artists in the music industry in regards to samples that have been used by hip hop artists for years. And we know this is how the genre came to be based off of sampling records. Mm-hmm. The first yeah. big hip-hop hit, commercial hit, was a sample from a from an existing record. Yeah. Right. I mean, even then, they got to keep in mind, like, the whole concept of hip-hop breakbeats. I mean, that's a sample. Like, yep. you know, just mm-hmm. spending two records together and just extending that beat. I mean, breakbeat, yeah. that's a sample. Those that's aren't original beats. So they got to keep that in mind as far as, like, yeah. being so critical as all you sampling and everything like that. And it's, and it's great people are, you know, coming up with their own things. They came up with their own, like, songs as time went on but at the same time that's the essence of where, you know, where it came from so mm-hmm. yeah well, they want their money they yeah. don't want to care about that that's where the essence yeah. it came from <laughs> yeah. 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 them yeah. chips <laughs> that sound like I, yeah. I, know they, I was listening to something the other day they talking about they heard something a, a little ping of a Marvin Gaye song on there and they took them for their money for that yeah, yeah. I'm right. like dang yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like B was saying like uh, the Turtles ended up suing De La Soul yeah exactly the tur- and it was like and they didn't even write the song they didn't write the original song so yeah. everybody's trying to get paid mm-hmm. of course yeah yeah I mean that's pretty much the business side of music business so. yeah. yep Innovative as it was, this is one of the things, the cultural impact that this that this album had. Another thing, of course, to talk about the impact culturally that this had, it also expanded, I would believe I believe, and laid the groundwork, like we said, this led to Tribe Call Quest's debut album in nineteen ninety. To me, when I look at, you know, a lot of groups there, you kind of look at, you know, affiliates and kind of group them together. To me, I kind of put Dayla and Tribe almost on the same plane creatively because I think they kind of always matched very well together. There was a lot of collaboration between the two throughout the years. So, and with this, no one had really heard heard Q-Tip on a record. The Jungle Brothers had just started putting things out, but their collaboration sort of led to like, okay, this group of artists is now coming out into coming out in full effect. And this is to counter some of the other things that are happening sort of within the genre as well. So in terms of the actual run list and everything else, uh, we're going to actually go around to song reviews and listening to this. And we're just going to go around, just talk about your, your favorite songs, high points, um, low points. And I'll go ahead and start with Dave as far as um, mm. some of the high points as far as you going through and reviewing this album, what you liked listening to it. Buddy, of course. Yeah. Uh, me, myself, and I. Mm-hmm. I like Pajos in Milan. That was my sleeper. Yeah, yeah that's a, like one of my favorite joints as well. <laughs> like the track. Jennifer O. Jenny. I like that track too. Yeah. Um, I would probably say the first maybe like five, six songs of the album were just like snooze fest for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like, nah, nah, bro. This is not not working for me. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I had trouble trying to really keep up with it, and it, it didn't happen. It didn't break through until uh, me myself and I came on. I'm sorry, Powell's in my lawn came on, and then I'm like, okay, this is where it started rising. Just like we did with Mob Deep, you know, mm-hmm. the first four or five songs are important, and then it started building. The first four or five songs, I'm like, mm, this isn't this isn't me. This is not me at all. So yeah, um, Powell's in my lawn was definitely my sleeper hit. Um, you got this. You, like I said, you got the the essentials. Me, myself, and I, and Buddy, both the original and the remix. 
Jay, your your high highlights or high points on the album that you were listening to it? And these are kind of the ones I listened to back in the day. It would be me, myself, and I, like we said earlier, and Buddy. Mm-hmm. And uh, just because those are like feel good songs, that like, you know, you just vibe with them, rock with them. Even like you know, even though we were little at the time, like when it came out, this you just rock with it. Going back and listening to the album now, I would say, yeah, potholes in my lawn, because that was another thing that well I took from the album as far as themes on it, like you know, the whole thing of like not biting. Yeah, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, especially and especially at that time, like where individuality was so important, not trying to sign the next person. Like, I mean, I know it's kind of, that's kind of accepted now, but back then in the eighties, you know, you might get your head knocked off, like trying to bite somebody else's style. Like, especially in New York, like, you know how to get down. But, um, aside from that, uh, another journey that was like rocking with that was say no go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's a cautionary tale. Plus at the same time, I like that hall of notes sample. They use how they flip that. That's really stood out to me. Going back to the point earlier, I mean, yeah, the earlier songs, like I kind of like, I hate to use the term fillers for them, but I really wasn't gravitating towards them like that. I mean, mm-hmm. okay, okay, maybe, all right, guys, maybe I had to be there in the studio with y'all to really get the vibe. It just didn't, it just didn't hit me like that. So, yeah, those are the ones I, those are the ones I was rocking with. Like I said earlier, those maybe could have left those on the cut, <laughs> cutting room floor. But um, <laughs> sorry, but um, yeah, it was like twenty four. It was like twenty four songs deep. So it's like okay, right. I'm pretty sure a lot of this stuff couldn't, you know, and and a lot of skits though. And as a matter of fact, this album was actually known as being uh you know helped to origin helped to originate the idea of skits on hip-hop albums mm-hmm. this is one of the first hip-hop albums that actually originated a large number of skits and interludes there hadn't been a large number of these in hip-hop before uh, they last started doing them they they actually were one of the groundbreakers and to tell them to do help them to introduce skits within uh, within albums oh and that's another thing as far as like and it's funny like that wasn't even like the earlier songs weren't even a low point for me mm-hmm. the low point for me and it kind of like Sorry, Prince Paul, but you kind of irked me with this one. But, like, you know, it'll be some joints, like, he'll have his, like, interludes, but after, which I feel people should have flown on. That was kind of, like, my issue when mm-hmm. we reviewed um, Prince Paul, Prince Among Thieves, like, the joint Transition from Mars. Yeah. That beat was vicious. Like, somebody should have yeah. spit on that joint. Somebody like, should have, yeah. Transmitting live from Mars. Yeah, yeah so, absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, so somebody, somebody definitely should have been on that. It just, like, used as, like, a filler. I'm like, bro, what are you doing? Like, so that was yeah. only the only low point for me. That just kind of, like, goes to the mountain of, thing, mountain of that aspect that irks me about Prince Paul, but other than that, you know, yeah, that's yeah, for me, that's it. Damo, I know this isn't your favorite cup um, of tea, but no, just I, tell me your high points when listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna murder it. Give us something, bro. Give us something. I'm not gonna murder it, but uh, now nah, listening to it, I listened to it about four times because you know, like Dave said, those first six, four or five songs, I was like, all right, listen to it again, listen to it. Again. Now, really, what I can see is where a lot of producers took from them to where they, where we are now in hip hop, like how Kanye seems like Kanye and then took some from them, the sampling stuff, getting the soul and his music seemed like he got that from them from back then. But the album is good. It's a good album. Mm-hmm. It's a good back then. I can see it's, 80, it's 89, nine. so yeah. I can't expect them to be talking about. Yeah. So for me, as far as the high point, right? Yeah, no, you didn't murder it. You didn't murder it, man. <laughs> I think the high points for me, other than the 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 well, and there were many singles that put out for this. And one thing I noticed about his albums back then, out they put out a lot of singles on albums back in the late eighties, yeah. early nineties, definitely. Um, but for me, the main singles that everybody knows from this album, me, myself, and I, and Buddy, of course, the original, and also the remix. 
Potholes in My Lawn, of course. Say No Go was another one for me. And then I actually also enjoyed enjoyed plug tuning um, as well. Um, I, to me, I kind of liked, and, and when you talk about as far as like the, um, one of the big things that makes d- that Daylight's appeal is, is going to be their creativity and sort of like their originality. Lyrically, they're not going to blow you away on a lot of their different things. And I, I realized that after listening to them and having to see some of their different brand. Now, they evolve as a lot of their follow-up projects come through. Um, Mosaic Thump, Daylight's Dead, Stakes is High. But you pretty, yeah, you pretty yeah. much know what you're going to get with them. And their creativity and originality is sort of what grabs you. So to me, I think... Uh, thinking back in that time period when reviewing some albums, uh, that's what really what grabs me more so than anything else. So those really are, more, are my high points. Everybody knows the the landmark tracks from this album, without a doubt. Um, but that, those are the ones that really grab you. We talked a little bit about what were songs that uh, you didn't really appreciate then that you appreciate more now, especially now that you listen to it. My song for that one, of course, for me would be definitely would be Potholes in My Lawn. Me too. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I would say, yeah, Potholes in My Potholes Lawn. Potholes in My Lawn. And, yeah. um, and also with me, um, Ghetto Thing too. Ghetto Thing, yeah. Because I look at it from a um, the production standpoint because I do like that Rock Free Park sample. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, just for some reason, as much as I love the song, it just, just kind of capture essence, like that hood aspect. Yeah. yeah. And like um, with Potholes and like, you know, like, this what, what causes this effect? I don't know. Maybe it's a G-H-E-T-T-O. Just like, I guess like the way he was flowing in that joint just like really was like okay you know what I'm saying like yeah indeed true nah I definitely I definitely get that man um as far as uh, a couple other things that I sort of wanted to to point out in regards to this album so just so that we know they actually had one two it's it was it looks like they had eight different singles they released over uh two different years three different years actually that they released for this one their highest charting sam- single, of course, is Me, Myself, and I. Um, that actually reached number one on the Hot R&B and Hip Hop singles tracks, hot number one rap out rap singles, uh, hot dance tracks, and also um, dance music. Um, that's a track that you hear. That's almost a sample, uh, a staple that you hear in every old school party nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, that has to be a track that's played nowadays. You know, what's funny. I was actually talking to my lady. And she was telling me that she remember the thing that she remembers about that me myself and I track is that is the video, you know, with them in the classroom. So <laughs> that was actually one of the one of my favorite hip hop videos from back in the day. You know what they you know remember in that video when it came up on either Yo MTV Raps and then eventually Rap City when they did some flashback tracks. The Buddy remix to me is memorable for a couple of th- things. One. Um, because of that sample, that sample that they took from that, and then how many other different songs have stemmed from that sample? Mm-hmm. Not just the Buddy remix, but then of course Eni Kamozi, mm-hmm. you know, here comes the Hot Stepper, and uh, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was listening to Spotify by the way, so I was listening to um to reggae and and um heard a couple of Eni Kamozi tracks. Um, and the other one, of course, is music music doing the Buddy track that he took directly from that remix and made his own track himself. You know, um, I had a story about like the most. I guess you could say it's the most ratchet one um, that sampled that was like the Jane, my baby father ain't no damn good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so there we are. And we, we talk about as far as like, um, as we're getting to daylight, different care, uh, catalog as we go on through this show, there'll be different things that you pull from each one of their albums. This one, I think to me is their originality and creativity. And there was a backlash as a result of this, um, as a result of what they, the sort of the, 
attitude and the essence of this album, though they were being sort of pointed at or being uh, labeled as hippies. And so they addressed that on their very next album on De La Soul is Dead, which came out in 1991. So I'm going to split this up in two ways when we do the ultimate test, because we always know this, right? So Mm -hmm. what I will say is before we go into this very last segment and reviewing De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising, is that the industry has already determined that this is a classic that is bona fide, certified, timeless, and everything else that is timeless. So I'm going to preface that for all you listening and listening out here before we get into this for personally what we think. And, so, don't, and don't, don't, don't be hurt either. <laughs> yeah. So um, we all understand and recognize the impact that this album has and what it has done in the industry. So we'll, go, we'll leave it at that. But we'll talk personally as far as what we think. And and I'll go ahead and and start, I guess, with the harshest blow first. <laughs> <laughs> Did not say and, nothing bad about no daylight so. And Damo, <laughs> so we'll say this again. Is it certified? Is it borderline? Or is it just a classic in its time? I'm going to put it as a classic at its time. And well, you say that because basically. It's 89. Yeah. It's the beginning of hip hop. Mm-hmm. You was in elementary school. I was in elementary school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well I kind of listened to it. I be kind of like, bubblegum rap ain't that bad. Listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to go that That's far. That's my but slow burn. Damn, son. That's my burn right there. Damn, bro. <laughs> well, I wouldn't went that far. That's the only bad remark I'm going to say on it. But pretty yeah. bad, though. <laughs> So okay, all right. So there we go, Damo with the with the with the bomb with the da- with daggers. So Jay, uh, I'll ask you the same question: Is it personally to you? Is it certified borderline, or is it just a classic in its time? Um, I'd have to say I'm kind of torn actually because I think I'm not because like nah, for because I'm thinking about like you know, how they made a mark going forward. But just like if we gonna go like production track to track, I would say a classic in its time. Mm-hmm. Cause like I said, it was a couple joint like a. More than a few, that was I like, you know what I'm saying? Just like, like my man said, snooze fest. Yeah. But, um, and even when I do listen to it, the ones I do like, I mean, I'm, I'm like already like in a retro state of mind if I'm listening to it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't, it's not something I would just like blast, like, you know, some other songs, like, with the exception maybe like Buddy or Me, Myself, and I. But yeah, you have already have to be like in that retro state of mind in order to listen to it. And like the little person, well, so I, and yeah, the personal thing that irks me about Prince Paul by like, you know, wasting fire tracks the way he does. Yeah. <laughs> but just gonna leave it at that because I can keep on going. So exactly, take it that way. <laughs> nah, I definitely understand that, Dave. I asked you the same question: Is it certified? Is it borderline? Or is it just a classic in its time? It's, Personally, it for was you. a classic in its time. But the album is in the Library of Congress. Yeah, true. It's a national recording registry, yeah. so that lets you know it's like it's still timeless. But to me. I'm pretty much we're consensus. It 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 was a classic. What's time? Is it like timeless? You put it in the capsule and you put it in the dirt and then they uh, bury to it some, up. to some to some people it is. It ain't to me. So yeah. when they bury it up and listen to it, they gonna feel like I feel like what the hell? Is they just they just might based on the <laughs> crap. Good chance know, of that. I mean, based on the stuff that you on the radio right now, you yeah. know. What yeah, I'm they saying? gotta That's, be in they gotta know. be in that time. They got to be in that mind frame in order like to be like okay, like I remember the same. The same, to like, you know, trap era, like that. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, and it's I like think, 30 I, years you ago. You know what? That's what it is. Because I really didn't listen to it back then. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm six. So now you think about everything I done listened to from. Yeah. It, it just when doesn't. I start, it is, it's not hitting your yeah. ear right. It's not hitting your ear right. So it's like, okay, dang, man. it's This is a, supposed to be a great album, but 
it's not appealing to me. Sure. So what I will say is this. Um, you got to kind of look at it, and I would say you have to look at it in a different lens because there are albums classically within a number of different genres that were a little bit different that people didn't necessarily rock with too hard in every genre. Yeah. Um, what I will say is this. This was one of the things that I pulled in my research is that electronica artist James Lavelle said that Three Feet High and Rising was one of his favorite albums. He said it's sort of uh, – a reaction to more of the slightly hardcore era, what was going on in hip hop that we talked about. He says the record is probably as a concept record is probably one of the best ever. It's like Pink, it's like Pink Floyd of hip hop, their dark side of the moon, which is interesting. If you do, if you're a music head like me, and you research like dark side of the moon and sort of what the reaction was to that. Deeper in a deeper perspective, there are different things to be respected about that album that on surface, most hip hop fans will not be able to appreciate about it. But personally, I can definitely understand because if you go back into that era, there are probably a few different things and a few different albums during that era that I would choose to pump rather than pump this. So, um, but I, we do understand, like Dave said, it's in the Library of Congress. Um, what can you really say about that? <laughs> it's um, that sort of pretty much stands uh, stands by itself, and we do all understand exactly what their uh, what their impact was, and we can respect that. But um, as far as us, as far as us concerned, what I will say is that for me, I think it's borderline considering the era. Um, it's not completely certified to me because to me, I think other De La records stood out to me more so than that because cult, uh, mm-hmm. impact wise what it had for me later on in my life I think it stood out a lot a lot more particularly uh, De La Soul is Dead and also Stakes is High ob- obviously classic so um, that's but, classic yeah now <laughs> so there we are De La Soul Three Feet High and Rising you can um, where you can listen to it well you can always take a gander on YouTube but you cannot stream it everywhere where you find music because, unfortunately, there is a dispute going on between the label and Dayla that makes it impossible. But you can also find it on some cool sites like Amazon and also on eBay. People are selling their own copies. And um, if you can get a vinyl copy of this, it probably is something very, very cool to have. Um, vinyl copies of a lot of classic records are actually very cool to have. You can actually get it at Target. And you can get it you at get Target. T- you can get it at Target. So? I just saw it. You can get it at Target. So there we are, De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising. Um, and, of course, we are, that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you check us out on our host, Podbean, vaultcmr.podbean.com. You can also download, stream, and subscribe on The Vault CMR on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and newly Google Podcasts as well. Um, definitely want to get those Android users out there to start streaming that on Google Podcasts. We like the numbers, but we love it if our Android users show us a little bit more love. So get on Google Play, download Google Podcasts, and give the vault a listen. We appreciate all the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that you tell that friend to tell a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8.